Hello, I'm Lydia Champole, and thank you for joining me for another episode of the Creepy Tech Podcast. This week, we are going to do a deep dive into the darker side of public Wi-Fi, how your data can be accessed, and how you can protect yourself while navigating the ins and outs of public hotspots. Let's jump right into it. The internet has been around since the 1960s, and originally, the United States government commissioned for a system to be built that would connect computers in a network that would essentially create a communication system that could get information from one computer to the other pretty quickly and without a fault. Through the 1980s, a lot of private funding, as well as some public funding, was used to financially support the research into making this network of computers not only better, but faster. In the beginning, this was mainly used for the military, but by the early 1990s, the idea to make this network more available to people began to spread like wildfire. Companies all over the world began investing in making this network more commercially available. Most of us can't picture a world where we can't unlock our phone and Google that ridiculous question that's been popping in and out of our minds all day and then getting an answer within a couple of seconds. Initially, the internet was only accessible to large companies and through a physical connection between your computer and the rest of the computers on the network. Now, I'm sure a lot of you can remember sitting by your desktop computer waiting for that dial tone to end and then having to choose between receiving an important phone call or using the internet for a couple of hours. One of the best things that has happened to the growth of businesses, the accessibility of knowledge, and the ability to reach anyone in the world at a moment's notice is the widespread use of the internet and public Wi-Fi networks. Wi-Fi technology uses radio waves to provide access to a wireless network of computers that connects every other computer or phone across the world to each other. Today, most businesses offer access to their own public Wi-Fi. Some use passwords to offer a bit of extra protection to the customers who need to access the internet, but a lot of them don't. A lot of us don't even think twice about using any and every public network that our phones or laptops can connect to while we're either traveling or grabbing a cup of coffee at the cafe down the street from our homes. But we probably should. Just as easily as we can connect to these networks, so can others who have the intention of using the information you access to do quite a bit of damage to both the company offering the service and the individual using the public services. Public Wi-Fi seems harmless and we use it as if it's harmless, but understanding how this system works from the moment you click connect to the second you receive that stream of Twitter notifications can begin to show us just where the issues are lurking. When you enter a coffee shop, you open your laptop and you click that little network symbol, a list of available networks will pop up. Some may be protected by a password, as I mentioned earlier, which are usually the ones that we ignore because we either get anxious at the thought of tracking down an employee and having to ask them for the credentials to sign into their network, or because we just don't want the added hassle and want to get online as soon as possible. The default settings on most networks are severely lacking in the layers of protection available. And most business owners don't have a background in networks, nor do they need one to set one up. We typically follow the default step-by-step -step guides provided by internet providers to get online quick and easy, and so do these business owners. Often, if we need something online, we take the easiest road. 
We click on the strongest signal that won't require us to do much more than click accept to some unread terms and conditions before getting online. The terms and agreements of most public Wi-Fi are usually short, most carrying the same basic terms of service. Number one, they protect the company offering the service. Number two, they list out the behaviors that shouldn't happen on the service. And number three, they let you know that although they don't monitor what happens on the service, if the law asks them to provide the information on what happens, they could magically find it stored somewhere and hand it all over without ever having to let you know. For example, at the Seattle-Tacoma Airport, also known as SeaTac, the terms of service begins by saying, quote, Use of the Wi-Fi system is free. However, some internet sites may charge you for use. The internet website portion of the Wi-Fi system contains certain limited informational and entertainment content provided by the port or third parties that have licensed content to the port. The port may provide links on the internet website to other websites that are not under our control. You acknowledge and agree that if you access the internet, you may receive or be exposed to content, goods, or services which you may consider to be improper, inaccurate, misleading, defamatory, obscene, or otherwise offensive. End quote. Additionally, quote, Use of the Wi-Fi system is at your own risk. Information you send over the internet using the Wi-Fi system may be acquired by third parties. End quote. Once you click Accept, your computer or phone joins every other connected device in the radius of that network. When companies or businesses set up these public Wi-Fi's, most of them don't take the time to add in added protections for those using the service. It's free, it's public, and it's not made to be used for important things. While this may be found in the Terms of Service Agreement, you won't find that notice posted anywhere else to remind you. The default settings companies typically use to set up their Wi-Fi also makes it extremely easy for hackers to get into the network and begin collecting as much data as they need. For those who do want to keep a few things private or safe, we make sure that we follow the basic rules of the public internet. Number one, we don't access our bank accounts. And number two, we don't go to any websites that need us to type in our passwords. And while those two actions do add another level of security, it's not enough. Hackers also know this and have created ways to use the websites that you visit or the information that you have decided isn't extremely private to figure out the things that you do want to protect. One way of doing this is by using a man-in-the-middle attack. Sometimes this is a use of third parties that assist in the process of transmitting the information that you have on your phone or computer out into the network to the person or website you intend to send it to. Other times, it's the use of a fake Wi-Fi network. Those Wi-Fi networks typically have similar names to more reputable networks. For example, instead of calling a Wi-Fi Wi-Fi hotspot, they may name it ATT Free Wi-Fi. If you are anywhere close to an AT&T store or are a member of the company, you may believe that it is a reputable hotspot when really it's the person two seats away from you in the mall food court waiting for someone to connect. Each time you send information to another person or business, that data is broken down into smaller packets, then transmitted through a chain of devices connected on that network 
until it gets to its final destination. Now, since well-protected Wi-Fi networks and devices are more difficult to get into, hackers target easy-to-hack devices, such as the ones connected to loosely protected networks, for example, public Wi-Fis with no password or devices not using VPNs. Once they target these, they get access as an in-between step along the chain of devices. This allows them to make their way through the transmitting process and hack into bits of packets as they travel along the chain. This is called snooping or sniffing packets and shows your data, things like your username and your password, without any encryption directly to the hacker. And once they have this information, they can later log into your bank and monitor large deposits and then make purchases at the same time you're making deposits. This software and the step-by-step -step guides that are available online are easy to follow and easy to use. And after doing a quick Google search, I was able to find a few blogs that showed me step-by-step -step instructions on not only how to set up a man-in-the-middle attack on unsuspecting individuals, but also how to set up a snooping or sniffing packets situation. And all of this would take less than three hours and a small investment into equipment that would run me just about $35. The information on how to collect data at places that offers free Wi-Fi is wildly accessible, free, and super easy to follow. And if you want to see just how simple it is, the blog will be linked on the references section of the show notes on my website, elshambali.com. And just a quick disclaimer, this isn't me encouraging you to go and use snooping or sniffing techniques or man-in-the-middle attacks. This is just me telling you that we should be more informed when using public Wi-Fi so that we know how to better protect ourselves. Once hackers have access to your device, they can then trick you by leading you to fake versions of websites you visit or place links that install backdoors into your device so that they can find your device at a future date on any network that you connect to in the future. This allows them access into your device while it's on a network that is better protected, meaning that your device can help them get access once you go home and connect to your own private network. The consequences of this are significant. Once you are home and you are on a network that you trust, you lower your guard and you begin to transmit the important information you typically don't access on public Wi-Fi. You type in your online banking information, file your taxes online uh, on places such as TurboTax, or even send private emails to your friends and family. The hacker now has access to not only your financial records, but also your private interactions, which can all be used to not only steal your identity, but also can be sold on the dark web as a means for income for that hacker or individual. And according to an article online on CNBC from about 2016, about two in five Americans have either been an identity theft victim or know someone who has been. Once your information is sold on the dark web, individuals can begin buying anything, opening credit cards in your name or using your social security number to find legal work under your name. They could buy vehicles, homes, or establish loans under your name, all without you ever knowing. And while the internet has become more accessible, a large part of the American population doesn't use it to check their credit scores, meaning that years could pass without them noticing fraudulent activity under their accounts. This is concerning because individuals may not notice until it's too late to do anything about fraudulent activity. And the hacker that stole it is usually trying to work as fast as they can to either sell your information to a third party 
or to rack up as many charges and get as many credit lines in your name as possible. And proving that your identity has been stolen can prove to be extremely difficult and does end up being a long process. However, there are a few ways that you can begin to get back control over your information once you know it is stolen. But beforehand, to prevent your information from being stolen, you can do the following. Number one, make sure that you use a trusted VPN, which is also known as a virtual private network. Anytime that you use public Wi-Fi, you should have this running in the background. A VPN essentially anonymizes your information and identity by tunneling your IP address between many servers and between other members on the network. This makes it look like an individual is somewhere where they aren't, or it makes it look like your information is unreadable. So basically, nobody can see what websites you're visiting, what time you were on them, what kind of information you were accessing, what your emails say, what your social media likes are saying. All of that stuff would be encrypted and would be unreadable to anybody other than you. Now, when you're searching for VPN service, there are a few things that you should look for to judge their ability to protect you and your information. They should be able to tell you exactly how and what information they store about you. A good service will only keep the basic information like an email address. They will also be based on a location that is governed by laws that are aimed at protecting individuals' privacy. They should also explain to you how others see the information you're accessing on the internet as well as how your payments are processed. A good service will be able to mask the websites you visit, your identity, your location, your preferences, your payments, Essentially, they should be able to mask everything about you, but the basic details that are needed to track payments for refunds. That should be just about it. Number two, they should also have a clear and easy to digest terms of service agreement that makes it clear exactly what they can and can't do, how you can delete your account, how you can delete your account. They should also have an easily accessible customer support line. Number three, remember, any company that is offering you their service for free is most likely selling your information to be able to make that offer in the first place. Free service means you are the product. A good service provider should put your privacy and data above their profit. It's better to pay for a VPN than it is to get a free one and have your information sold to advertisers. Now, if your identity has already been stolen and you don't know when it happened or how, there are a few things you must do immediately. Number one, you need to immediately scan your computer for any viruses or malware that could be collecting your data. Then clean out every bit of it. And if you don't know how to do this, there are plenty of companies who can do this for you. You can always start with the company that made your computer or phone. Simply contact them and follow through with the process. Number two, once you clean out any malware, change all your passwords, Disconnect any devices that are currently connected to your social media accounts, email addresses, or online banking accounts. Most websites have a section that shows you which devices have access, and you can revoke those permissions for all the devices listed at the same time. Number three, you should immediately check your credit score through a trusted provider and freeze any new accounts from being opened under your name. You can directly contact Experian, Equifax, and TransUnion for your full credit report and to freeze access to your credit report. Then you need to contact your banking provider and let them know what's going on. If any fraudulent charges have occurred on your account, 
You can cancel any credit cards that you may have and get brand new ones. You should also enroll in an alert system, which is typically offered by most banks as well as the main credit reporting bureaus. And this lets you know whenever any weird activity occurs on your account or on your credit report. Number four, once you have done all this, you can directly contact the Federal Trade Commission and file an identity theft report. And yes, number five, you should also contact your local police department. And even though they can't help you with transactions that have occurred online or overseas, the more of a paper trail you have, the more proof you will have if it comes down to a legal action against you or your banking facility or large companies that may have left you vulnerable to identity theft. Number six, and this is the last one, um, while that credit freeze may be the last thing you want to do, it could be the difference between bankruptcy and financial freedom slash living a normal life in the future. My last point for you guys is as access to the internet and public Wi-Fi increases, I expect that there will be a similar increase in cases of identity theft. As a result, there will be a growing need for reputable information that continues to evolve as the network becomes more complex and hopefully individuals will begin to take steps towards safeguarding their information and their privacy. Remember to always shred any personal information before tossing it out. You need to get a VPN at the very least for when you're using public Wi-Fi and make sure this is a paid VPN service. And you also need to change your passwords often and religiously. That's all I have for you this week. Thank you for joining me and I hope that you found this interesting and informative. As always, if you have a creepy story or audio clip that you would like to share with me or your fellow listeners, you can send it over to wyn at elshampole.com and your story will be featured on our upcoming episodes. You can also find Creepy Tech on Instagram at tech underscore creepy or on Twitter at tech creepy. You can find me, Lydia Champole, and the show notes with the links at lchampole.com. Till next time. Creepy Tech Podcast. 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 Podcast.